Welcome to the Fearfully and Wonderfully Me podcast, a podcast designed to help you increase your influence, develop your leadership, and maximize your results. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fearfully and Wonderfully Me, a podcast designed to help you become the woman and leader you are destined to be. I'm super excited about our podcast episode today. I have a special guest, Nancy Davis Coe, is our guest today. And she is going to be talking all about the Thank You Project. So we're going to get into that and what that is and what that means. Um, Nancy is a speaker, author, and a podcaster whose work has appeared in the Washington Post, the San Francisco Chronicle, and Salon.com. Nancy's book, The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness One Letter of Gratitude at a Time, was published by Running Press in December of 2019. Nancy covers, I love this, Nancy covers the years between being hip and breaking one at midlifemixtape.com and on the Midlife Mixtape podcast available on all major podcast platforms. The Midlife Mixtape podcast won a 2020 Iris Award as podcast of the year and was included in Wall Street Journal's list of eight podcasts for anyone nervously facing retirement. Nancy has been both champion and judge in the acclaimed international comedy lit improv show, Literary Death Match. More at uh, www.davisco.com. And I'm going to spell that D-A-V-I-S-K-H-O.com. Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Rhea, thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to be here. I'm super excited just about our chat this morning because when you and I first talked, it's been probably a month ago, maybe a little bit more, uh, you shared with me a little bit about the Thank You Project and your book and uh, talking about how impactful gratitude has been in your life. And I thought that is something that so resonates with the listeners of Fearfully and Wonderfully Me. So I'm super excited to hear more about your book and Tell us a little bit about the Thank You Project or, or how you got the idea. I would be happy to. So uh, in 2015, I was kind of rounding the bend into a big birthday year. I was going to be turning 50, but you don't have to be 50 for this to work. But that was that was what it was <laughs> for me. And I was feeling very reflective because I just felt fortunate. I, you know, my husband and I had been married a long time. Our girls were doing well. My parents were around. And I just thought, you know, you get to age 50 and you realize that's not a given, right? You've mm. seen people struggle, you've struggled. And um, I think it was, it just felt to me like the appropriate way to mark that year was to write a thank you letter to the people who had helped shaped or inspired me. Anybody who had kind of gotten me to where I was that I could be in this fortunate situation. So I decided I was going to write one letter a week 52 weeks in a year, I would even be able to take two weeks off. I wanted to write 50 letters. And so I had this grand plan. And I love that we're going to be, you know, that this episode's going to be airing in January because it was a really nice way to sort of face a new year and, you know, embark on something that I thought was really just about sort of doing some karmic good housekeeping and mm -hmm. letting people know how much they had meant to me it properly. And so I scrawled out a list of about 20 people. I, I was thinking, and when I got to the end of 20, I thought, I don't even know 50 people, but I'm going to worry about that in June when I get to the end of 20 letters. <laughs> so I wrote to my mom and dad first and sent those off. And it was it, it, immediately after writing those first couple of letters, 
I began to notice that I felt so much better having written them. I would sit at this at my office. I, I didn't handwrite these letters, although I love when people do that. My handwriting is horrible at this point. Um, <laughs> and I wanted my readers to be able to read what I'd sent them. So I would sit at my desk and write a letter and I could feel my shoulders sort of drop down and I could feel my just this sense of, ah, like, you know, everything's going to be okay. Everything's, you know, everything's all right in the world. And in writing the book, which is not a collection of my 50 letters because nobody cares who I wrote to, right? But it's a, it's a blueprint for people to do this themselves. And I wanted to understand the science behind it because every single time I wrote a letter, I would experience the same thing, this sense of what I learned the scientists call elevation, which is this a sensation of warmth that fills your chest cavity and you know you can you lower your blood pressure and you can sleep better by doing an, an ongoing gratitude practice and i was experiencing that right from the get-go so i really went into this thinking this is such a great way to celebrate this year everything's going so well sure enough the universe heard that and said oh okay she's ready for a curveball and it turned out to be one of the hardest years of my life it was um mm. a, a year a year that my dad died very suddenly he had been in great health until he wasn't and we lost him 6 weeks after learning he was sick uh, a couple of weeks after that we took our oldest daughter and dropped her off at college on the other side of the country which was not sad but it was a big change when i was already reeling and it was the 2016 presidential election. So we are recording during the aftermath of the 2021. And But I will remind you that 2016 was awfully stressful as well. And so there was just this base level of anxiety. It was so high. And I realized that instead of, or in addition to being this um, kind of acknowledgement of, of the good fortune I'd had in my life, writing a gratitude letter was a very effective way of pulling me back from the abyss and mm. reminding me that I had the support. I had these connections. I had had really hard things happen to me in the past. And there had been someone there who had helped me because that's what I filled these letters with. I sat down to, to say, here are the specific things that you helped me with. And that practice was just an amazing way to regain perspective and build resilience and remind yourself that everything's going to be okay. And so the book was just my effort to make that easier for everyone else. And the book came out December, 2019. And I have said this year, I did not intend to write a book that would pop against the background of a global pandemic, <laughs> but I, I think I did that um, because this has just been a, tr a terribly difficult year for so many of us who need that constant reminder that, yep, you're not alone. Even though you might be alone in your house, you're not alone in the world. You've had people help you. You will have people help you. There's lots of resources around you. And that's what I hope the book does. I hope it gives people the motivation and the understanding that you can really rewire your brain by following a practice of writing gratitude letters. Mm, it is so powerful when, when we we don't really stop to think about it. I think that's the thing is we are, you know, we're all busy and rushing through the day and rushing to get things done. Um, it was interesting when I wrote A Grateful Heart back in 2016, I started researching all of the benefits of a gratitude practice. Now I was talking about incorporating a, a personal gratitude practice, like focusing, you know, what am I thankful for today? And not so mm -hmm. much in terms of thankful to other people. So I love that, that 
add on. But it was interesting because it, it really does give us so many physical and psychological benefits. I mean, he's like, you sleep better and you're less stressed and your blood pressure goes down and you're healthier and on all of these things that- And you, you cheat less, you donate more money, your asthma control can be better. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm sure you found the same thing that we are, the human body is designed it's optimized to work in a state of gratitude. We do better across the board when we start with gratitude. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. I think it really comes down to, as Oprah Winfrey said, what we focus on expands. And when we start to focus on the blessings instead of the bitterness, we find that we have more of them just because well, I, we're more aware of them. Right. And I don't know if your research uh, took you into the arena of positive recall bias, but it was brand new to me. So I'll just explain it here. And that is the tendency that we all are all, are all born with to focus on uh, positive or negative things. So you can, mm -hmm. you, you have both negative and positive recall bias. They both play a part. Negative recall bias is great because when a car is careening down the street at you, your negative recall bias says, get out of the way. So you need that, but it also can become a constant. It can become a habit where you're always looking for that danger. What's on the horizon? What's the bad thing that's going to happen to me? And that can be really stressful. And what scientists found is that the way to turn off that negative recall bias to mute it is to enhance your positive recall bias that looking around and saying, okay, what's good? Well, the good thing is I ran off the road to get out of the way of the careening car. And here I am at a bakery with such good croissants, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you can just look around you and find those positive things and focus on those. And in doing that, you are rewiring your brain to be more efficient at looking for positive things. And the phrase that the scientist uses, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So mm. in, in writing the book, I really started thinking about gratitude as, uh, a, as a, a muscle. You know, it's a muscle you can work on. You just can become more grateful and more positive by sitting down and thinking about what is something that I'm grateful for. And in my case, I was writing letters once a week. So I would have my name in, in my head of who I was going to write to. And I would try to spend some time, some quality time that week, just thinking about that person. How did my, you know, what are the different ways my sister has helped me? And I would, I, I live in Oakland, California. I'm right near the Oakland Hills. So I can be out my door and in 10 minutes, I'm in some redwoods on a, mm. on a trail. And that became kind of a meditation for me. I would just hike along and think about, oh, well, there was that one time she did this or that other time that she did that. And she is always there for me when I need a problem, when I have this kind of problem. And even before I ever had written a letter, I was already strengthening that positive recall bias. And so it was, you know, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of benefits that accrue to writing down the letter, the words and sending the letter, mm -hmm. but even just the thinking is important. And actually that's why I structured the book the way I did, because most of it, there's a section on how to organize and what to put in the letters and all of that. But most of the book is just saying, what about these kind of people? Do you have these kind of people in your life? Think about them. What about this kind of person? And so I'm hopeful that even for readers who don't ever pick up a pen the process of reading the book will start firing those neurons to look for those positive connections, remember those positive associations and relationships. Mm. It's interesting. You talked about, you know, there is some power in actually sitting down and writing the letter itself, but you mentioned uh, in the introduction of your book that you, 
you might not even have to actually mail the letter. That's right. Because there are no thank you note police. It turns out you can do whatever you want to do. So, <laughs> you know, I, one of the things I tried really hard to do was to not put pressure on the reader to feel like I was nagging you to do one more thing, because I don't know about you guys. I have not had a lot of bandwidth during mm. the pandemic to take on extra projects. So, uh, you know, I just wanted this to be an invitation to think about how, okay, so great. She wrote one letter a week that worked for her. That's not going to work for me, but maybe something else will. And in fact, I include a couple different people who had uh, done a similar kind of initiative, but had done it at a different pace or in a different way. I just wanted to show that there are a range of possibilities. And also the thing about not writing the letters is very, or not sending the letters, pardon me, is very freeing. So what happened is I definitely wrote and sent my first probably 30 letters, you know, by the, mm -hmm. because as time passed and I was strengthening that positive recall bias, I kept coming back to helped, shaped, or inspired, you know? And so I, I could come up with family and friends. And then beyond that, I was starting to think about the, like the doctor who delivered my children, you know, that's a very helpful person. The person who safely delivers your children into the world deserves a thank you letter or, mm -hmm. you know, the, the formative teacher, my AP English teacher, who I had long since lost track of, but I was able to find her address and send her a letter. Um, but then at one point I thought, wait a minute, I'm getting this positive, I'm getting all this good, juicy gratitude benefit, you know, the, the lowered shoulders, the unclenched jaw, all that stuff. The, when I'm writing the letter in that, in that afternoon that I'm writing the letter, that's when I feel those benefits. That means that the person's reaction to it is not, uh, that's not a requirement for me to feel the good benefits of gratitude. It was always nice to hear from somebody who said, oh my gosh, I loved your letter, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a condition. And so I thought, well, I could write to people and not mail the letter and still get all this, the perspective and the resilience and all that. So then I started thinking about people who had helped shaped, inspired me, who I'm not in touch with some ex-boyfriends, a really horrible boss. I had, mm. uh, you know, a, f a former friend who I basically, you know, broke up with in my twenties because we also learn lessons from negative examples. So in the case of this friend, this was someone who I'd met in college and we were very tight for a long time. We were roommates for a little while. And I just, she was somebody who was not, it wasn't a, it wasn't a two-way street. I had to give a lot more than I got out of this friendship and I got sick of it. And I finally told her one day when I was 22, you know, I'm done. I am done because, you know, you don't, you never want to help me or, you know, you're always asking, 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 and you're never there for me. And I was only 22, but from that moment on, I had this new metric, which was that I only wanted to spend people, spend time with people who wanted to spend time with me, mm. which sounds pretty simple, but sometimes that's a hard thing to learn. And I was grateful to her that she taught it to me so early. And so I wrote a gratitude letter to her and I won't mail it. I, I actually know where she lives. <laughs> I'm not going to mail it to her, but I am grateful to her for having left me with that understanding. And so those were the kinds of letters that I think can help take what might've felt like a negative situation in the moment and give power back to the narrator, give power back to the writer to say, you know what, you went through a hard thing and you managed to take a good lesson from it and more power to you. So there were probably, there are probably, I guess about seven letters, like, nah, I don't even know if it's that many, maybe it's five letters like that, that I wrote and didn't send. 
And, and then I thought, well, wait a minute, if I can write and not send them, then they, they don't have to be to people either. So that was start, that hmm. started to get really fun. That was when I was like, well, I was definitely shaped by the fact that my first job was in Munich, Germany. I went, was an immigrant in Germany for two years and it was a hugely impactful part of my life and shaped the person I became as, as, you know, from a, from my young, you know, early twenties, it still is resonating now in my fifties. So I wrote a letter to the city of Munich. I wrote a letter to my hometown. I wrote a letter to the city I'm living in now. And that one was funny because in the book, I kind of said, I, I include some snippets of the, of, of uh, the letter to Oakland. And I said, you know, who am I going to read this to? What do you do? Like <laughs> go stand on a street corner well, somebody in Oakland read the book who knew the mayor, and I was able to do this presentation to the Chamber of Commerce and read the letter to Mayor Libby Schaff. So oh, wow. that was kind of a thrill. I had I left out the part about the potholes. I didn't want it to make it awkward, but um, <laughs> yeah. And then you could write to your hobbies, or you could write to you know authors whose books you love who maybe aren't even around. I wrote to Jane Austen. Can't send a letter to Jane Austen, but I was happy I wrote wrote to her because it gave me a chance to think about how her writing had impacted me. I just love her books. So that's, you know, it, the further you get in the process, I think the more the ripples go out and out and out and you start saying, oh, the, you know, this is a really positive thing in my life. This is something that makes my life interesting and, you know, makes makes things better for me. And we all can benefit from that mindset, I think. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's so powerful. And as I'm hearing you as I'm hearing you talk about that, particularly experiences or something that shaped you, it it really is focusing on how can I be appreciative of hard times or difficult times, adversity in my life, because I did come out different on the other side. As we look through 2020, I mean, so many people have faced challenging times in this year. I mean, it's almost a cliche that this year has just been the longest year yep. for all of us. And yet there's an opportunity here to grow through our experiences. And I, I love the concept of, I've never really thought about that, of actually sitting down and writing a letter to something that shaped you, a situation or something and saying, you know what, I'm I'm better. I'm choosing to be better because of it. Well, the Munich letter, I think is interesting because I was very young, very overconfident. <laughs> I spoke German, but I spoke textbook German. And if you are familiar with the geography of Germany at all, you will know that Munich is in the state of Bavaria, which is like the Texas of of Germany, <laughs> which means that the accent you will hear in Bavaria, it's not the accent you've heard in your classroom for the past eight years. So I got there and I was so far over my head at 22. I couldn't understand. I thought I was fluent in German. Turned out I was not fluent in Bavarian. I, <laughs> you know, was very, this was in the eighties. So I was far away from home. You couldn't email, you couldn't pick up the phone and call. I was really on my own. And, um, it taught me at a very young age to be, it gave me very important lessons in self-sufficiency. And um, it was hard, but I didn't have to, you know, we all have to learn that lesson at some point. And I'm glad I learned it early. And there were other ways that, you know, that was a hard experience in so many ways, but I'm, I would not trade it for the world, not for the mm. world. I'm so glad I went through that. Mm, absolutely. You talk about the three S method. Will you share that with us? Or just a little bit about what that's about. 
Sure. So I broke the process down in the book. I wanted to make it easy for people to remember. So it's basically three steps, see, say, and savor. Mm. So when you have your person who you're going to write to, I guess the, the actual uh, preliminary step is make a quick list of people who you, who have helped shaped or inspired you. And I, and mm-hmm. I do say, start with the easy ones. You know, you can get to your friend who taught you to, you know, not take friendship for granted at some point, but you don't have to start with that letter. Start with somebody who you love, who has helped shape or inspired you. So quick list of names. And then you start with the C part. And this is where you just brainstorm about specific ways in which this person has helped you. And I really think the specifics are important because, well, it's nice to write a letter to someone and say, you're so generous or you're so nice. It's a little bit squishy. It doesn't really mean so much, but if you say, Mm -hmm. you know, I was having trouble making a car payment and you loaned me a hundred dollars when I absolutely was on, you know, was having a crisis. That's cool. That's much, I think that's much more meaningful or you always listen to me when I'm having trouble, you know, when I'm, when I've got a parenting conundrum and I don't know what to do, you're a more experienced parent and you always give me good advice. You know, Mm -hmm. this, this specific things. And I think spending some time ruminating about those really helps us to notice all the different ways we're helped, all the different kinds of people who we have in our life to help us. So the specifics are important. And that's, that's the C part. Just, just spend some time thinking about how has this person helped you? What are, what are the ways that you're different because your path crossed their path? So that's C. Step two is say, and that's where I really do encourage you to write the letters. Um, I, we've talked about the ones I didn't send, but the vast majority of letters, I wrote down my specific reasons and I sent them out. And I will tell you, first of all, I know in my dad's case, for instance, my dad called and said, oh, you know, I love the letter and answer, framed it and hung it over my desk. Mm-hmm. And uh, it meant so much to me six months later when he was in hospice and I was sitting at that desk and looking at that letter and knowing that he'd had time to absorb what I'd written. I was so mm. glad I'd written it down because he'd had a good six months to just kind of under, no, I mean, I think he knew it anyway, but there was nothing left unsaid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have friends who I wrote to who have told me that they keep the letter in, you know, the pocket in a, a, a bedside table drawer or tucked into a book, <clears throat> excuse me, or tucked into a book. And it's something that they take out and reread and that, you know, to give somebody, especially now when we're stuck inside, we're not getting to interact with each other as much as we would like. I mean, remember hugging. I barely do at this point. (laughs) This letter can be like a hug that you send out to somebody that they get to hold on to. So that's the say part. And that I, I really do encourage that. One of the interesting pieces of research that I found in writing the book was that people tend to overestimate how awkward they will feel in sending a gratitude letter and they underestimate how happy their recipients will feel to receive it. Mm. So there's this sense of awkwardness that's holding us back from doing something that really does benefit parties at both ends of that transaction. So um, I, I really encourage that. The third part is savor. So I talked to you about how I was really throughout the book. I just try to say like, you do you boo, like you, however this works for you, you do it your way. Not this part, this, this I'm really strict about saver means you keep a copy of every letter you write. Hmm. And the reason is that at the end of your letter writing, whether you write 10 letters, 50 letters, hundred letters, 
you have a stack of physical proof that you have been helped in the past, that you have people on your team, that you have overcome hard things before. And in the book, I suggest that you, you know, take that stack of papers and go get them bound somewhere. I went to a mm -hmm. coffee shop. I think I spent 10 bucks to have mine bound up into this, you know, little brochure basically. And I look at that thing all the time. I wrote my letters four years ago and I still flip through that because if you're having a low day and you just flip it random and say, oh my goodness, you know, my high school friend, Lisa, who I can't even begin to tell you the specific things Lisa's <laughs> done to help me in my life. They are myriad, but she is one of the funniest people I've ever known. And just even the first paragraph of that letter makes me laugh. And then I start thinking about this silly stuff that Lisa and I used to get up to when we were 14 and it's just a boost. So I really encourage people to send the letters, but keep a copy for yourself for, to look back at. Hmm. Do you, I'm just curious, do you continue to write letters like this on a regular basis? Well, it's funny because when I finished my 50 letters, which as I talk about in the book, I couldn't do it in a year after my dad died, I was really knocked backwards for a mm. while. So if you, if you start this project and have to take a pause, been there, done that. I, I had to do the mm -hmm. same thing. So it took me almost a year and a half, but I finished and got, you know, I'd got to my 50th letter and I thought, okay, I'm done. That was it. And so I stopped and, uh, about, I don't know, six months after that, a friend sat down, we were at a, somebody else's 50th birthday party. And this friend sat down and said, did you, I heard you did this thing for your birthday. Can you explain what it was? And I did and told her about it. And she's, and I, and I kept saying, isn't it self-explanatory? No. Who did you write to? How did you write? You know, what did you write? How did you send what to send? How did you decide what to send? And, um, and then the second person asked me at a different event. And by the time the third person asked, I was like, oh, maybe this is something I could make easier for people. So I wrote, started writing the book about a year after that. And in doing the research, I thought, what, why did you stop, Nancy? Why on earth did you stop mm. writing the letters? <laughs> so in the process of writing the book, I restarted writing the letters. And I don't do it every week now, but I have tried to do it at least once a month since since uh 2020 started. Mm -hmm. And it's great. I mean, it still works. It's still, I sit down and I think, oh my goodness, now I get to write a letter to my friend, Vicki, who is one of my favorite accountability, you know, buddies in the writing community. We talk every Thursday and check in to make sure that we're still each writing something new. And, you know, I just feel so much better having written to Vicki. And then I think, okay, now I'm going to think about my hairdresser. And I'm going to talk about the fact that I can't see her very much in 2020. And now I realize why I'm paying for her services because <laughs> I look like a witch. So um, yes, I am continuing is the answer to that question. Oh, I love that. Nancy, I'm just curious. Did anyone, I mean, I know you got some very positive feedback. Did was there one particular that stood out that was unexpected or surprised where somebody called you and said, oh my goodness, I don't even remember that or, or anything like that? The one that, and I talk about this in the book, the one that really surprised me was that I did write a letter to my obstetrician who is mm -hmm. one of the top docs in San Francisco. And she has, she's extremely busy and highly respected and is always being interviewed about women's health issues, blah, blah, blah. And she actually wrote me back and said, I never get letters like this. Wow. And I had read an interview with her 10 years earlier where she had estimated that she had delivered 17,000 babies at that point. And so 10, you know, imagine mm. that 10 years on. 
nobody writes her a thank you letter. And I was, first of all, I couldn't believe she had the time to actually sit down and write back to me. And I just, from her letter, and this was well, obviously it happened well before the pandemic. It just gave me this glimpse into how much we'd rely on medical professionals and how infrequently we acknowledge that, how mm. infrequently we say to them, you made a huge difference in my life. And, um, you know, so that one to me, I was like, wow, if she has time to acknowledge it, that tells me that this is, this doesn't happen very much. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's powerful. I mean, it's, it's almost sad in a way. I mean, she's touched so many lives and delivered so many babies and, and brought imagine, so much joy. Yeah. And imagine this, I mean, there, there is some research that shows that, um, very stressed out medical professionals in particular, there was a study that looked at uh, nurses in emergency room scenarios, their stress levels were measurably lower when people acknowledged them, thank them, express gratitude for them. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily through a gratitude letter. I don't, I don't think so in that study, but it did make it clear that a patient saying thank you could really go a long way to preventing burnout in the medical profession. And again, that was done before the COVID pandemic. Mm. And so, you know, the, if you know a nurse or doctor or anyone who's a frontline responder who's been working so hard this year, great time to write them a gratitude letter if you have a reason to do that. Absolutely. Uh, it, it just reminds us not to take the people in our lives for granted. Right. Right. Whether that's close relationships where it's easy to it is easy to take those people for granted, but also those people who do help us in so many ways and just being intentional with practicing gratitude in that relationship. I can imagine that it really in incredibly enhances the relationship, probably more so with the closer you are to that person. It does strengthen relationships. That's another thing that, you know, social scientists have seen is that the bonds, it, it, basically when you send someone a gratitude letter, you have signaled to them that you get it, that you recognize that they've gone out of their way for you. And those people are more likely to help you again in the future. And I'm not saying you do this, be, I'm not saying to send these letters because of that. Yeah, you can't but manipulate. But right, right. It's not meant to be manipulative, but it is shown to enhance the tendency for the recipients to be helpful again in the future. So, you know, one of the things so I've got, uh, my, got, my daughters are 22 and 19 and the 22 year old is working. Thank goodness. She graduated during the pandemic and actually got a job, but she's got friends who are interviewing. And I have said to her, make sure your friends know to send a thank you mm. note to every interviewer, every networker, everything, because you're building those connections. You're showing mm. that you get it, that you acknowledge it. It is and it's not done very much. And so I think this idea of helping the younger generation recognize the role and the value of written appreciation is something we can all do. It's something we can help make clear to them. Mm, and it absolutely. just makes the world a nicer place. Who doesn't want to get a thank you letter? Uh, <laughs> it's incredible. Um, I, I can remember, I, I actually keep, I have a, a special drawer where I keep, you know, a few cards or things like that, but thank you letters are just the highlight and even more exciting when they are, like you said, handwritten is, is awesome. Yep. Because well, one of it's, my, go ahead. I was going to say one of the surprising um, things that happened to me this year is that I received a few thank you letters from people after the book came out. And I, mm -hmm. I promise you, that's not why I wrote a book, but it wasn't, <laughs> I did have a few friends 
who wrote to me and this, I love this story. So here, let me give you a little background. So I was uh, going into my sophomore year of college and all my closest friends paired up for housing for sophomore year. And I was the odd man out. I was the one person who didn't have a partner to go into the housing scenario with. And I was super bummed out. I was, you know, I was 19, I was 18. I was very sad. And this mm-hmm. girl, this three, three girls who I barely knew said, oh, well, we've got a quad. We need a fourth. Why don't you move in with us? And they were all very nice, but I barely knew them. And they kind of ran in a different circle from me, but I thought, well, sure, why not? You know, it's an important storm. And they were so nice to me. And it was a great year because I met so many different people and they just, they were all studying different things for me. And I remember that year was such fun as I really grew to just love those girls so much. And but, you know, and so one of them sent me a thank you letter and I was blown away because she, in the letter, she thanked me for improving her musical taste. Now you can tell if I've got a show called Midlife Mixtape, I'm very into music. One of my unsent letters was to the live music industry. I love <laughs> concerts. I'm very sad I can't go to concerts right now. She, but anyway, this, this uh, roommate said you, I had such lousy taste in music, but you kept dragging me out to different concerts. You introduced me to the clash and you introduced me to, you know, public enemy and all these other bands that she mentioned. And, you know, she said, I'm, I'm just really grateful to you for that. And I was flabbergasted because the whole time since I was 19 years old, I've assumed that I was the taker in that relationship, that those three girls felt sorry for me. They were really nice Mm. to me. I was kind of the charity case. I was the only one who, you know, I I didn't really have much to contribute. And after I read this letter, I thought, oh, wait, I was an equal partner in that quartet. I did Mm -hmm. have something to offer and it never had occurred to me. And it made me feel better about my myself. You know, I thought, oh yeah, I had some value there. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but how kind of her to let me know that in retrospect. So I know from being on the receiving end of these letters that it can be really just like the best, not just the best part of your day, but the best day of your week, maybe even the best day of your, of the, of your month, depending on the month. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I love that. Nancy, thank you so much for sharing. Where can, where can the audience get in touch with you if they want to learn more or learn more about your book? Well, the best place to go is davisco.com, D-A-V-I-S-K-H-O.com. And from there, you can get information on the book and you can get to the blog and the podcast. But the book's available in bookstores online and for audiobook download because I got to record that. And I should mention that, I don't know if you, I don't know if this appealed to you, Ria, but I did put playlists for every chapter too, because again, with my mixtape, background. I had to include a playlist for every chapter and you can find those on Spotify if you want to listen to them too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I recently had uh, Rachel Francine on the podcast and she was talking about the, the therapeutic benefits of music and, uh, and how even when we just, even if we're terrible at it, if we just make music or sing or hum or whatever, it's so beneficial. So yeah, the playlist thing is interesting because I'm a big believer in how that helps us just feel, just yep. feel better. Absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. Nancy, thank you so much for your time today. I, I think you've definitely shared some insight on how powerful it is to, to practice gratitude, not just for ourselves, but specifically in relationships. And I love to talk about how powerful it is to increase our influence with other people. And this is a, it's a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. It's well, I appreciate you having me on, Rhea. It's been great talking with you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Take care, Nancy. You too.